One afternoon, a, a man came home from work to find total mayhem going on in and around his home. His three children were out in the front yard, still in their pajamas, playing in the mud. Food boxes and wrapping were all over the front yard. The door to his wife's car was open as well as the door to the front of the house. The dog was nowhere in sight. Proceeding into the entry, he found even a bigger mess. A lamp had been knocked over and was now broken. A rug was up against the wall. Toys were everywhere. When he stepped into the living room, the TV was blasting on a Disney Channel Food all over the living room in the kitchen. Again, a total mess. The refrigerator doors were open. Cereal was all over the counter. Dishes were in the sink. Dog food was in the floor. And there was a big pile of sand by the back door. He's thinking something is wrong in my house. Thinking his wife may be ill, he runs up the stairs, tripping over toys. When he gets to the landing, he sees water trickling out from underneath the bathroom door. Opening the door, he finds another huge mess. The toilet is full of stuff that don't belong there. And water is running out of it. There's a pile of toilet paper. Toothpaste is on every wall and on the mirror. He rushes to the bedroom door, opens the door, and there lays his wife, still in bed, still in her pajamas, reading a novel. She smiles at him and says, honey, how was your day? He looked at her and said, what happened here today? Again, she smiled and answered, well, you know, every day when you come home from work and you ask me what in the world I did all day? Yes, he said. Well, today, she said, I didn't do any of it. (laughs) Thank God for moms. Amen. Oh, my lens. Ladies, I will say my third gift to you is to go home today and do nothing. Not really. (laughs) It's a joke, all right? Hey, one of the most inspiring men in the New Testament is a guy by the name of Timothy. Two letters from the great apostle Paul were sent to Timothy and they're found in our New Testament. In addition to that, Timothy is mentioned numerous times in the book of Acts as in ten other books of the New Testament. He is one of Paul's missionary teammates and later the pastor of the important church in Ephesus. On this Mother's Day, you won't be surprised to know that Timothy's illustrious life and faith all began with the influence of his mother and his grandmother. Timothy's name meant honoring God. And we learn in the verses we're about to read how we can pass our faith on to our children where they will grow up and honor God as well. Just a few verses I want to read from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Paul wrote and said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. 
When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Heavenly Father, I do love you today, and I thank you for all the mothers who are here. I pray, dear God, that you would bring joy and comfort to their hearts. But also, dear Lord, I pray that you would challenge and stir every mother and grandmother to be the best example and best teacher they can be to their children and grandchildren. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage I just read said that Timothy had a genuine faith or a sincere faith. It was real. It was genuine. It was an authentic life of faith that he lived. Where did that come from? Well, it came from his family. And in particular, it came from two women in his family, his mother and his grandmother. It raises the question, how, how can we pass our faith, the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, onto our children and grandchildren? Well, it's evident in this passage that that primary responsibility falls on the family. Okay? It's the job of moms and dads, of grandparents, to entrust the faith that we have in Christ into the lives of our kids. We just don't leave it up to the church. Okay? It's really not the church's job. It's your job as parents to do that. The church comes alongside you and assists you and helps you as you uh, enter into this task of passing on the faith to your kids. Now here's what I do know. Children need someone in their life, and specifically their mothers, number one, to explain to them biblical faith. And that's point number one. Moms, it's your job to explain biblical faith to your kids. Listen to verse 5. Paul wrote and said, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, your, your genuine faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy's faith first lived in his mother and grandmother. That is, it dwelled in them. It resided in these women. It was not just a surface faith that they had or a faith of mere appearance. It lived in them. It dwelt in these two godly women. Their faith was strong. It was kind of like a tsunami wave that rolled not only through their life, but also through the life of Timothy and on into generations that followed. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul calls Timothy his true son in the faith. Now, we don't know for sure, but the apostle Paul may have been very instrumental in leading Timothy's mother and grandmother to Christ in a previous visit. But it's clear from reading 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, that the first primary spiritual influences in Timothy's life were that of his mother and his grandmother. We have absolutely no indication that Timothy's father was even a believer. It was his mom and grandmother. And they gave him the faith. And specifically, how did they go about passing the faith to their son? 
Well, we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 this. Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Right there in the Bible, the Apostle Paul says, it was from your childhood. The the Greek word that is used can also mean from infancy. You have known the Holy Scriptures. That means from the very earliest of days, when Timothy was just a little tiny thing, someone in his life, and we know who it was, his mother and grandmother, explained biblical faith to Timothy. His mother being a Jewish woman, would have schooled Timothy in the sacred writings of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. So this faith that we pass on to our children is then the portal of salvation which comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So moms, listen to me. It's important that Jesus be the very center of your biblical instruction to your kids. We must introduce our children to Jesus at a very early age. Teach our kids to trust Jesus. Teach them to love Jesus. Teach them to live for Jesus. Teach them to cherish and treasure Jesus. If we are to develop into the people God intends for us to be, we need somebody to come alongside of us and explain to us the biblical foundation for faith. We need someone to teach us the Word of God that is able to make us wise unto salvation. And God has given you parents, you mothers and fathers, that responsibility. You are the first responders in this life to your child. You're the ones to pass it on. Now, parents, you may be at a loss this morning on exactly how to do that. I mean, preacher, how do I do that? How how do I teach them? How do I train them? How How do I introduce this faith to them? Well, it's really pretty simple. In fact, a great pattern for us to follow is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We call this the D6 passage. Listen to a couple of these verses. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, God said that to the parents. Okay, You moms and dads, you grandparents, you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it goes on to say, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. That is, they are to live inside of you, in your heart. And then he says, impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. How? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and even on your gates. Again, parents, this is real simple, okay? First of all, this book has to be in our hearts. We've got to read it. We've got to study it. We need to know the Word of God. Not only that, we have to fill our heart with love for Jesus. Okay? 
Whatever, listen to me, whatever you love, your kids are going to see. They're going to know. If you really love something and are passionate about something, your kids are going to pick up on that. Come on. Ladies, remember my second gift. It's hanging out there. You help me, I help you. Okay? Whatever you're passionate about, they're passionate about. So you have the love of Christ in your heart. You have the Word of God in your heart and your mind. And then every day you look for opportunities to teach your kids the things of God. When you get up in the morning, share a verse with them. When you get in the car to take them to school or to an activity, you look for opportunities. And God gives us millions of opportunities every day. Even through a bird that's flying or a tree that's blooming, you can tell them something about God. When you're sitting down in your home, talk about God's stuff to them. When you lay them down at bed at night, read a verse to them. Look for every opportunity God gives you to impress upon them the things of God. Fill your house with Bible verses. Fill their heart with the love of Jesus Christ. Mom and dad, if your kids are to have a strong biblical faith... It first has to live inside of you. Now having said that, it underscores how important it is that the church come alongside the parents and help them in this daunting task. It underscores the importance of our preschool and we worship and children's ministry here at Cavanaugh Church. And I'm going to ask every one of you to take seriously our ministry to our children and our junior high kids and our senior high kids. Would you please pray seriously about our ministries to our kids and also about volunteering to become a part of this very important ministry at our church? Whether it's we worship or whether it's Sunday night Bible study, or whether it's helping Brother Johnny or Brother Jason in ministry, pray and ask God, Lord, what can I do to help impress upon our young people the importance of loving and following Jesus? Will you pray about it? We are constantly needing volunteers. You may think, well, a church this size, we'll have over 600 here today. We don't need any more volunteers. <laughs> Please. Yes, we do. In fact, I'm going to step over here when I say this because I want you to take it right. We have two classes on Sunday night, Bible study, of our little bitty tiny ones that don't have teachers. Our infant class from infants to 23 months and then the toddler class uh, from two years to three-year-olds. For, for two months, we've been without teachers in these classes. Guess who's been teaching the toddler class? This old man. You know what? Listen to me, though. I love those kids. I have fallen in love with those little kids. There's a part of me that doesn't want to give that class up. But then there is another part of me that is pleading with you. Can I tell you what God has shown me, though, through teaching this class for the last couple of months? These little kids, we're talking about toddlers, two and three year old. You think you can't teach them anything. Baloney, they're little sponges. They're picking it up. 
And Angie will put a CD in of, of Christian songs. And it is amazing. Some of these little kids know the words to these Christian songs. And they'll just start singing them. You know what I'm thinking? Wow. They've heard that at home. Mama's been teaching them that. And we'll start telling them Bible stories. And guess what? They can fill in the blanks. Some of them know these stories. How did they learn it? Because Mama taught it to them. And I'm saying, praise the Lord. That's what it's all about. Mamas and daddies teaching these babies. The church coming alongside of the parents and grandparents and helping them do it as well. So, one of the basic things that has to happen if we are to pass the faith along to our children is that we have to explain to them the biblical faith. Teach them the Word of God that is able to make us wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. Next, they need someone to explore God's calling with them. When Paul came to Lystra, he found Timothy, who was called a disciple. That's what the Bible says. Timothy was a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. It wasn't that just his mother and grandmother made sure his heart had heard the gospel and he was saved so that he could go to heaven. Something happened in his formative years of his life that caused him to live a particular way on his way to heaven. Listen to verse 6. Paul said, for this reason I remind you to stir up the gift of God. The NIV says to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hand. Now, to this point, his mother and grandmother were the primary spiritual influencers of his life. They put in place the foundation of faith in Timothy's life upon which everything else would be built, including the calling of God upon his life. After Timothy's mother and grandmother invested in his spiritual development, after their faith had taken root in his life, they laid the foundation for Timothy to explore the calling of God in his life. And it is at this point that God brings into Timothy's life another influencer. It was the Apostle Paul who spent years mentoring Timothy and teaching him. Now, it says in that verse, Paul said to Timothy, Stir up the gift of God that is in you. What is this gift of God? Well, it's not his salvation, though salvation is a gift from God. The word that is used here is the word charisma, and it means a gift of grace. And specifically, it is referring to a particular calling that had been placed upon young Timothy by God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his life. I said all that to say this to you. Young people need older people to challenge them to stir up the gift and the calling of God that's on their lives. Here's what we believe from the Word of God, that every Christian, every believer, doesn't matter what age they are, every Christian has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit of God to be used in the church and in the ministry of God. So if there is a, a six or a seven-year-old kid who gets saved and they follow the Lord in baptism, guess what? The Holy Spirit has gifted that kid to do something in the kingdom of God. They have that gift inside of them. And it's the job of us older adults 
to come alongside these kids and these young people and help flame that fire, to help stir up that gift, to help encourage them to use their gifts and their talents in the kingdom of God. It was interesting for me this week thinking about this, to go back in memory and think about my Christian life. You know, I was saved when I was a kid. I was raised in church and saved at an early age. God called me to preach at at an early age. But, you know, even with that, I can go back and I can pinpoint people in my life, not just my mom and my dad, but people in my life, in my churches, that God used to come alongside of me and encourage me. Yeah? Uh, One that stands out is my Aunt Pat. She was a Sunday school teacher. She was also my CTS teacher on Sunday night. My Aunt Pat stirred that gift in me, man. She, She fanned the flame. She was always pushing me and always encouraging me to be the young man that God called me to be. She saw something in my life, in my heart, that belonged to the Lord. And so she kept pushing me to be the guy that God called me to be. I thank God for that. When I was just a junior high school kid, we moved to Abilene, Texas. We, we went to this really small church. It was just a handful of people in the church. The only other youth in the church at that time was my sister. What fun is that? You know what? I had a pastor. He didn't have a lot of education. In fact, I don't think he had any formal education, but he sure loved the Lord. His name was Lionel Cooksey. And I don't know what it was that Brother Lionel saw in me, but he saw something in me. And, and he took a liking to me, and, and he would take me with him to district meetings and different places. He would come by and pick me up, and we'd just go riding his truck. And he was flanning that flame. He was fanning the flame. He was stirring the gift. He was encouraging me. He was asking me challenging questions. He saw what God wanted in my life, and he encouraged me and pushed me to be the young man. That God called me to be. We have a great church, amen? This is a phenomenal church. We have some wonderful young people in our church. The kids in this church are awesome. They're great kids. And I can look at some of these kids and I say, wow, God is really doing something in their life. Present tense, God is also going to be doing something in their life. And I think it's our responsibility, adults, listen to me. It doesn't matter if they're your kids or not. They're a part of this family. Take the time to come alongside of them and encourage them to stir up that gift God has given them. Again, Timothy's mother and grandmother and the other mature believers that God put in his life didn't let him settle for just being a Christian, just coming to church, just getting by. They challenged him and helped him to explore and embrace the calling of God upon his life for service in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God. So to pass the faith to our children, they need someone that's going to explain the faith to them. And then they need someone to help them explore their own spiritual giftedness. And number three, they need someone to encourage holy character in them. There's some indication from reading these two letters from Paul to Timothy that Paul spotted a particular weakness in Timothy's life that he really wanted Timothy to work on. I kind of get a hint of this in verse 7. In the New King James it says this, For God did not give you a spirit of fear, 
but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So you come away from reading that verse and ask the question, did did Timothy have a fearful side to him? Did Timothy need encouragement to step up courageously and live the calling of God in his life? It certainly seems that way. Timothy was presumably a timid young man by his nature and temperament, naturally shy. Maybe he had the tendency to shrink back from from difficult tasks or certain people, and, and he needed to be encouraged. And so Paul wrote to him and said, Hey, Timothy, listen to me. God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. Now, I say that to say this. I observe today that many of our children are not raised. They are simply allowed to grow up. And there is a huge difference between those two. A mother dog can let her puppies just grow up. A mother is to raise her children. Who knows what will happen if these kids are not given the right direction and the proper correction. Well, based on 30 years of preaching and pastoring churches, I can tell you the results are not going to be good. If you are not investing your life in the life of your kids and correcting them and instructing them, and guiding them, they are going to stray off course. They will have problems in their life. When I was a little kid, we lived in Midland. And when I was just a little boy, we moved out in the country. North of Midland, I don't know how many miles it was, five or six miles north of town. We started out with an acre. Dad had a house built right there at the front part of the acre, and we had the rest of the land behind us. And Eventually, he bought an acre on either side, so we had three acres. But when I was a little kid, my dad went behind our house, behind the backyard, and he planted some fruit trees. Remember that, Dad? Remember planting those fruit trees? I was just, man, I don't know, maybe, maybe I was six years old. I can't remember how old I was, but I can remember being out there helping him plant these fruit trees. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to West Texas, Midland, Texas. Anybody had the opportunity, the great opportunity to go out west, beautiful West Texas? Anybody here? Admit it. It's beautiful. It's awesome out there. But 11 and a half months out of the year, the wind is blowing. Hard. Hard. We had nothing to obstruct the wind. On three sides of us, there were massive cotton fields. And so the wind would blow. And the wind blew these little fruit trees that my dad planted, and they all started leaning over. And so he went out there, and he drove some stakes into the ground, and he tied the trees up and made them straight again. I can remember him doing that. I've thought about that many times through my life. I don't know why that's, why do certain things stick in your head, you know? But that's stuck in my head. What a great picture, what a great example for us parents with our kids. Because if we just leave our kids out there to the world, the world is going to blow them down. The world is going to sway them in the wrong direction. So moms and dads, grandparents... You need to drive some stakes down, biblical stakes, to become the foundation of your home and family. 
And then you prop your kids up against those stakes. I really don't know how to say that because if I, if I said you tie them up or you stake them up, you would take that wrong and turn me into law enforcement and Ron would have to arrest me. But do you understand what I'm saying? We need to prop our kids up with biblical correction and biblical understanding. They need to know what is right and what is wrong. And no matter what our world says, there is right and there is wrong. And it's all according to the Word of God. Obviously, this requires parents and others who are interested and involved in the spiritual development of their children to be spiritually alive and spiritually alert and spiritually active in their life. We all need someone who can model the Christian life in front of us and encourage us in the development of a holy character. We need somebody who's not going to be afraid to step up to us and say, Hey, that's wrong. And parents, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with grounding your kids for doing wrong, for laying the law down. And you know what? You can whip them. It's biblical. You spare the rod, spoil the child. All right. Notice I stepped over there when I said that. So They need it. They need it. And then number four, they need someone to entrust the future to them. When we explain biblical faith to them and when we help them explore their spiritual giftedness and when we encourage the development of holy character in them, we then need to entrust them with the future. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words... We must be unleashing on the world a new set of leaders. We must pass the baton to our young people. They are our future. We must allow them to begin using their biblical insight, their faith in Christ, their gifts to influence their world for Jesus Christ. We pass it off to them and we push them out there like a mama bird does to her baby bird, and say, fly. <laughs> hmm. Let me say this just to our church, okay? The church as a whole. This is a great church, isn't it? I love talking about Kavanaugh Church. Man, what an awesome church. This, this is, a, is a healthy church. It has vitality. It has ministries. It, it, it's, it's doing something good in the kingdom of God. I'm so thankful for Kavanaugh, aren't you? What a great church, amen? Awesome church. But this is what I know about Kavanaugh Church. This church is one generation away from being nothing. That's all it takes is one generation to say no, to not be involved, to leave, and the church dies. Gary, I found out this week that Oak Park has finally closed their doors. 
Gary grew up in that church. I pastored Oak Park for seven years back in the late 80s, early 90s. A strong church, good church, growing church, great things happening in that church. I was there for seven years, longer than any other pastor has ever been. Over 60 years in that church, I hold the record. That tells you something. <laughs> but here's what I knew even back then. That if something didn't change or didn't happen, that church would eventually die. How did I know that? Seven years there, 75 young people graduated from high school, left Pine Bluff, and never came back. Most of them because their parents told them not to come back. We don't want you living here and raising your families here. It's a, it's a rough place. But no, I counted 75 kids that left our ministry and didn't come back. You know what that did? That left a huge vacuum, a big hole. And the church never recovered from it. They, they never replaced those young people in that church. And so eventually people just get old and people die. That's what happened to Oak Park. I don't say that bad towards Oak Park or bad about those kids or those families there, but I am saying it to you as a church. Let's keep things alive and young and growing at Kavanaugh. Let's invest in our kids and our young people. Let's come alongside them and encourage them to use the gifts that God has given them in this ministry. Moms, if you want some real inspiration at this point, go and read the biography of, of Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of 17 kids. Can you imagine that? No. It is said that she spent one hour each day praying for all 17 of her kids. No less than one hour a day praying for all 17. In addition, she took each child aside for a full hour every week to discuss spiritual matters. So at least 17 hours of her week was used inspiring and challenging and putting the Christian faith in the life of her kids. Really, it's no wonder that two of her sons, John and Charles, rocked the world with the good news of the gospel and became the founders of the Methodist denomination. Wow. Moms and dads, let me tell you. The most important thing you can do is pass the faith on to your kids. Now you hang on to that as I tell you another story and then I'm going to close. A woman once wrote Gypsy Smith, the great evangelist, after one of his campaigns to tell him she was a convert of his ministry. She was converted and as a result of one of his messages, uh, she wanted to, to go on and, and better serve the Lord. So she wrote this letter and said, I believe the Lord wants me to preach the gospel, Brother Smith. But the trouble is, I have 12 children at home. I've got to raise these kids. What do I do? And so he replied back. He said, my dear lady, I'm happy to hear that you have been saved and feel called to preach. But I'm even more delighted to know that God has already provided you with a congregation of 12. I think she got the point. I told the people in the first service, 
my life is my ministry. It really is. This is not a job. It's a calling. And I've got to be faithful to that calling. And so I spend endless hours each day and each week investing in your lives and in your families and in the kingdom of God and in this church. And it is my greatest desire to see this church continue to grow and thrive and, and us build a new sanctuary and reach a thousand people for Christ and have that many in worship every Sunday. It drives me. It motivates me to get up in the morning. But I've often thought of this. There's a verse that says, What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You know that verse. What does it profit a man if you gain everything but you lose your soul? My thinking on that verse in my life is this. What does it profit me as a preacher, as Will Harmon, to build the biggest free will Baptist church there is? to build a new sanctuary, to see thousands in this ministry and thriving if I lose my own family or if I lose those that God has entrusted to my care. What does it profit if I build the biggest church and my three kids not make it to heaven? You see the point? Yeah, God called me to be a pastor. He put that in my heart. But you know what? Before that, God called me to be a husband and a dad and a father and a godly example to my kids. Ladies, let me tell you, I know all the things you do are important. I know all the things you do are needful. But there is one thing that is more important than anything else. And there is one thing that is more needful in your family than anything else. And it's what we've talked about today. To pass that faith onto your kids. You know what? I can't think of a better time or place to come and pray for our kids and our grandkids than right here today. If any of you are in this room and your heart's not right with Jesus, I don't care how old you are or what your age is or what your gender is, if your heart's not right with Jesus, would you come and give him your heart and your life today? And then for the rest of us, let's, let's come and pray. Let's thank God for our moms. Some, some of you have lost your moms they're no longer here. They're in heaven. Well, we'll come and thank God for the great memories you have. But let's come and pray for our kids as well and our grandkids. Man, it's tough raising kids in this crazy world. Amen? We need to come alongside of them and support them and encourage them. And one way we can do that is by coming today and praying for them.